Good afternoon to all of our listeners on CJTR Community Radio at 91.3 FM and over the Internet at cjtr.ca. We can also be heard on Sastel Max at Channel 806 and Access Communications Digital Service at Channel 700. Wherever you are, welcome to Human Rights Radio, hosted weekly by Amnesty International volunteers. Our theme song is titled 30 Words, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, written and performed by REM and a collection of musicians from around the world. I'm Jim Hutchings, and with me is my co-host Gordon Barnes, and today we're going to reflect on racism. We're prompted by the unfortunate events in our own province of Saskatchewan involving the death of Colton Bushy and the racist reactions that followed. Welcome, Gord. Thank you, Jim, and uh, welcome to everybody who's turning in to Human Rights Radio uh, this afternoon. Um, it's an important discussion, Jim, and uh, I hope everybody uh, finds it of interest uh, in terms of the discussion we're going to be having today about uh, Saskatchewan and some of our history in terms of racism and maybe uh, we'll have time as well to get into a discussion about where we go in terms of addressing some of the issues here. I think it was astonishing. I know I was astonished uh, by this incident. Uh, You, I think, know that this is an underlying thing in in many parts of uh, of the province, uh, both in the cities and, and out in the rurals, but uh, uh, this was totally unexpected. That's right, and I think, you know, we need to, right at the beginning of the program, extend our sympathies to Colton Bushy's uh, family, in particular, and his friends, uh, the people on Red Pheasant Reserve. Um, and uh, th- this is a particularly difficult time for them, I noticed uh, just last night there was a vigil in Battleford's, uh, North Battleford, uh, that was organized by his family and friends, and, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be others, uh, and we, we need to extend our sympathies at the outset in terms of um, the events from a few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we'll start off here with an article that uh, was uh, published on August 27th of uh, this year and uh, the the title of the article is Colton Bushy is the Rodney King of Western Canada and uh, for those of you who don't remember Rodney King was uh, the the incident this was in Los Angeles uh, quite a few years ago that sparked uh, uh, riots for days and days well just read the article here the no trespassing signs spray-painted on tires that line farm fences along the rough gravel road, now seem more ominous than ever. They seem to represent a divide, a tension that was once simmering and has now boiled over. Colton Bushy's shooting death and the subsequent arrest of a white farmer, Gerald Stanley, has unleashed a torrent of hatred an avalanche of online racism that previously was mostly the stuff of hushed whispers and private conversations. However, some are doing their best to see through the anger and bridge the divide. Some people see hope. I think Colton Bushy is the Rodney King of Western Canada, said Mark Kleiner, a pastor with the Lutheran and Anglican churches in Bigger, near the scene of the shooting. I think we'll look back and see this as a critical juncture in the history of our province. Kleiner said he was disheartened by many people's response to the shooting in his small town. He saw fear, anger, and a level of unwarranted defensiveness on the part of many white people in and around Bigger. It's really what this exposed. It's like a boil that's been lanced. It's gross. We're seeing all this stuff come up, he said. On the rural road that leads past the scene of the crime, Stanley's farmyard in the rural municipality of Glenside, the feelings appear more mixed. Amid the vitriol expressed on the Internet, neighbors and other farmers nearby are hesitant to speak publicly about the shooting. 
Some say Stanley is a quiet man who has lived for some 20 years with his wife on her farm. They say she's an active member of the community working at a nearby nursing home. The gate leading into their yard is now locked, a new fence recently erected. Over the last decade, the crime rate in the rural area around Bigger has more than doubled, according to Statistics Canada. Some have suggested the increase is part of the tension between the reserve and the surrounding area. One farmer in the area said he doesn't have any issues with people from the reserve and that he often helps them when they stop by with a flat tire or in need of gas to get home. However, he said his attitude changed a few years back when his truck was stolen and RCMP found it stripped for parts on the reserve. Colton's aunt, Sabrina Piaishaw, is a band counselor who grew up not far from the Stanley's farmyard on the outskirts of the Red Pheasant Cree Nation. She was virtually next-door neighbors with many of the farmers connected by the grid roads that crisscross the area. Piaishaw went to school in nearby Kando and graduated with many of the children who grew up on area farms. The narrative of racist white farmers who are angry and afraid of Aboriginal people from the reserve exists. But the reality is more complex, she said in, in, in an interview at the Red Pheasant Band office. To this day, we are good friends with a lot of them, she said. The grief has been overwhelming for many, and the racist comments on Facebook and other online platforms have been hard to take. She has stopped reading and replying to them, unwilling to add fuel to the fire. But at least people are talking now, she added. He has died a hero and a warrior, right across Turtle Island and the whole world. He has raised awareness about racism, she said, of her nephew. The expressions of overt racism, however, have created tension on the reserve that has not dissipated in the two weeks since the shooting. Residents are complaining about an apparent increase in the number of RCMP officers in the area since Colton's death. They are basically treating us like we did something wrong, said Tash Baptiste. She's seen more officers on the reserve stopping people almost at random since the shooting happened, she added. It just seems like we are the criminals out here. Baptiste said she would like to learn to get along with her neighbors to start working to start to work toward healing. In other parts of the community, however, the grief is a personal struggle. Colton's brother Williams spoke softly about trying to counsel his friends and loved ones. I'm dealing with a lot of people who were close to him and are talking suicidal to me, he said, as he waited in a van outside the band hall. I'm like Hang in there, you know. My brother wouldn't want you to join him. Now that overt racism is again gaining international attention, it's something people must be honest about in order to move forward, Kleiner said. We need to be scandalized by our awfulness. Sometimes that can create real change, he said. His church in Bigger where the congregation is entirely non-indigenous, has worked hard in recent years to talk about reconciliation. They've had events acknowledging the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the idea of finding truth and reconciling with indigenous people has made it into Kleiner's scripture readings. Bushi's death has put all those teachings to the test. He hopes it will get better. I don't know what happened out there. You hear all kinds of stories. But it's symptomatic of a really deep problem. Not only in Bigger, but in Saskatchewan, in Western Canada, Kleiner said. Red Pheasant Elder Ben Watuni agrees, saying he thinks change will come no matter how slow and difficult the process may be. The area's racist past has been well documented, 
he said. During the late 1920s and 1930s, Bigger was a hotbed for the Ku Klux Klan. People in the town acknowledged that passed through the work of the local museum more than a decade ago. Wutani says people have to keep working through the past and look toward a brighter, more inclusive future. Things have to break through. It's taking time, but the system is changing. The education system is changing. They're saying, let's put treaty in the curriculum. Let's have an elder come and speak, Wutani said. I hope that it will get better. Thanks for sharing that, Jim. And, uh, you know, I, I was really struck with that particular article that it gave such a, a voice to people. And uh, I, I'm really glad that we we're able to share it again today on Human Rights Radio. You know, there's a, one of the first things I thought about was it, it, there's reference to the bigger area having a history in terms of the KKK. I don't know that that's got a connection to the events uh, this summer in particular, but I w we need to be conscious of our history. And and certainly in Saskatchewan, there was a time when, and I, I say this because there has been a narrative that we don't have a tradition of racism in Saskatchewan. And in fact, uh, there was a time when in the late, as the article mentioned, in the late 1920s, and um, there was a, a really strong presence in Saskatchewan of the KKK, the Klan, Ku Klux Klan. They had come up from the United States and organized in um, many communities. In fact, over 100 Saskatchewan towns. And, and there was um, a ritual of burning of crosses. The leaders claimed an overall membership in Saskatchewan of some 40,000 people. They... Uh, they actually at the time were attacking people they quote uh, called inadmissible people who were at that time immigrants and this is interesting the KKK was really focused on immigrants from central and southeast in Europe and also on the Roman Catholic Church uh, for its what they referred to as subversion of the public school system so that that is a context in which you know, one can view the history of Saskatchewan. Uh, there are others in terms of uh, issues around um, the history around residential schools, but we need to be certainly aware of our history when we're having discussions about racism and moving forward. So um, I think, you know, it's a kind of a heavy discussion and program, and we're going to probably uh, play a little bit more music than we might and. Um, I think Jim's got a few things lined up here, so if you're okay with that, uh, Jim. I'll sure. Let you... Well, just uh, I was looking through a list of uh, oh some anti-racist songs, and uh, there were a few that uh, that interested me, and uh, some some artists I was familiar with, and some not so much. But uh, I am quite familiar with the Black Eyed Peas, and uh, here's their version of "Where Is the Love." Got me questioning, where is the love? 
atomic bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones with ongoing suffering as the youth are young. So ask yourself, is the loving really gone? So I could ask myself, really, what is going wrong in this world that we living in? People keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends. Not respecting each other, denying our brother. A war is going on, but the reason's undercover. The truth is kept secret, it's swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you never know love. What's the love, y'all? Basically, I think that song is kind of reminding us all of our humanity. You know, we're all part of humanity, and and, uh, our problems start up when we forget that basic fact. That's right, and, uh, you know, it's a good lead-in to the next little bit of discussion, too, that I wanted to mention. And Saskatchewan has an interesting history relative to uh, some of the things that were done in response to events um, back in the late 1920s um, and it took a while uh, to to do this but in 1947 um, the government of the day the Saskatchewan government of the day passed the Saskatchewan Bill of Rights it actually was the first the very first universal Bill of Rights within any North American jurisdiction something that I think Saskatchewan leaders and people can be proud of and and reference now in this discussion that we've got that history it actually predated by a year the universal declaration of human rights uh, adopted by the united nations uh, in 1948 so there is that context in history that we we can look back on and then you know we can also reflect on uh, um, uh, saskatchewan leader, uh, Prime Minister uh, Diefenbaker, who in 1960 um, introduced and finally on August 20th, or sorry, August 10th of 1960, the Parliament of Canada adopted the Canadian Bill of Rights. Um, So, you know, there are Saskatchewan leaders who have, from the different political spectrum, led the way in terms of some really important initial work in terms of uh, human rights instruments. And and uh, we need to recognize that as we go forward in this discussion, and and you know acknowledge these positive uh, things that have come out of Saskatchewan's history. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and I, w- I was just thinking to myself here too that governments of all stripes seem to have this tendency to backslide, and and the needs and the rights of uh, First Nations people. It's tough. I mean, we're talking about tolerance. We're talking about reconciliation. 
and um, boy, some work needs to be done, and people have to get behind the whole idea. I'm just thinking here, just uh, wasn't very long here now that uh, Site C has been approved in BC over the objections of Aboriginal people, and uh, it just seems like there there aren't enough people listening yet. We need to have more people listening. And, and that's right. And one of the things I wanted to do in the program is spend a little bit more time about the issue of the, the conversation we need to have around treaties. But I think before we do that, we should go to another piece of music that we uh, picked out for today. And uh, mm-hmm. if you want to introduce that one, Jim. Absolutely. And uh, anybody that's been on the show before knows that when, when we're looking for music, my comment always is, when in doubt, Michael Franti. And so I've got some Michael Franti here. One of my favorite artists, I went to one of his concerts. There was a concert here in town, and it was great. I'd sure recommend anybody, if anyone has the opportunity to hear Michael Franti in concert, it's uh, just a wonderful experience. And here we have Michael Franti, and uh, the title is Tolerance. Listening to Human Rights Radio, and we'll be right back after this. 
and we're back. And uh, Gord, um, you were going to tell us, I think, about uh, some other things that are kind of pertain. They're not exactly the same sort of thing, not as extreme, but things that have been around that uh, just basically come up when we start digging into this topic. Uh, yeah, and for those people who might be just tuning in now to Human Rights Radio, uh, well, first of all, welcome to the program. The discussion we've had is so far is around some of our history in terms of racism in Saskatchewan, and we also want to spend a little bit of time about where to go, and uh, because it's such a serious issue, and um, one of the things we need to do as well is reflect. E- it, you know, it's not just a discussion about what happened most recently in one part of rural Saskatchewan and also it's not just about the social media uh, reaction and uh, some of the racist comments that people were putting online. It's about what's been going on in our cities as well. Uh, For example, in Regina in the 1980s and the early 1980s, the Regina Police Service was uh, the canine unit of the Regina Police Service was Responsible for letting their dogs off, the canine unit dogs, off kids in North, and and they were attacking quite viciously kids in uh, one particular part of the city, uh, in the north central area. Um, if there was a disturbance, a neighbor would call the police, and uh, you know they 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 didn't know that these kids were particularly involved or contributing to the problem or what the issue. But uh, it turned out the people in the legal aid community ended up getting a large number of pictures of young kids who were badly, badly chewed up by the Regina Police Service canine unit. That's part of our history here in Regina. And as a result, uh, the, the uh, there was actually a provincial inquiry called and recommendations made for change within the police service. One of them was very important, and that is it said, you know, you've got as a Regina Police Service, next to no people on the service who are Indigenous background. And you need to change that. You need to do that. Um, and there was change. It took time. Um, but now it's the Regina Police Service is more reflective of our community. However, it's still not got the numbers of people who from the Indigenous community that it should have. Um, in Saskatoon, uh number of years later uh it's well known the story and uh, but some people may forget about it or prefer to forget about it in 2001 2002 the the concern with respect to the uh what was happening with the Saskatoon police service with these freezing deaths and and result of the starlight tours where the Members, certain members of the Saskatoon Police Service would pick up Indigenous people, men, take them outside the city in desperately cold weather and leave them outside. And as a consequence, there were th- at least three people we know who died, um, were frozen to death. Rodney Nestas, uh, Lawrence Wagner and Neil Stonechild. You know, as a result of that, again, there were changes within the Saskatoon Police Service. But, you know, this took place, these changes took place way too late. And and those events, both in Regina and Saskatoon, um, some people might prefer to forget in terms of our history, but we, we just can't ignore it. Um, another reality is, and it's been discussed on this program many times, is that so many of the situations where we've had missing and murdered Indigenous women in Saskatchewan, which is a proportional, unproportionate uh, anywhere else in Saskatchewan, Canada is very high, the numbers. Uh, it is really clear that it's been as a result of systemic racism and attitudes where people, men have thought they could get away with First of all, attacking and uh, murdering Indigenous women, and it, it, the narrative. Unfortunately, when this f- discussion first came up in Saskatchewan about the 
the large number of Indigenous women who were missing and murdered back in 2004. Initially, unfortunately, I would say much of the media commentary was also racist in the way it was portraying the women. And it wasn't reflecting on the fact um, that the women who had been murdered or missing were missing were women who were mothers, who were sisters, who were people's daughters. And none of that was part of the narrative. I will really uh, acknowledge the substantial change with respect to the media over the years, in the last 12 years. There's been some very good reporting over, over the last 12 years, particularly more recently. And it's important because it's now informed, you know, the public and, you know, contributed to the, I think, the very positive development more recently where the government of Canada has seen fit to move forward and uh, uh, go uh, forward with an independent inquiry into this at a national level, which will, you know, Saskatchewan people need to pay attention to that inquiry. So, Jim, I think it's probably a good time now to turn to another piece of music, if you're okay with that. And uh, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> um, artists this time that I chose from, from that list of anti-racism songs uh, is War. And the title of their uh, contribution is Why Can't We Be Friends?
And that's war. Why can't we be friends? And you're listening to Human Rights Radio with uh, myself, Jim Hutchings, and Gordon Barnes, and we're discussing racism in Saskatchewan. And we're doing that in the context of uh, the murder of Colton Bushy uh, that took place a few weeks ago now, and the subsequent, you know, social media response in terms of some the more serious, very serious. Um, racist comments that were made on social media. Uh, I'd like to share one of the things that I, I noticed uh, that is worth reflecting on and acknowledging is the response from the uh, FSAN, the uh, the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations. Um, back on August 12th, uh, subsequent to the killing of uh, Colton Bushy, issued a news release, and they extended as well their deepest condolences, as we do, to the family and friends of uh, Colton Bushy and also the community of uh, Red Pheasant First Nation. They said at the time, um, we're very saddened by the tragic death of Colton Bushy and offer our deepest condolences to his family and friends. This young man's death is a tragedy said FSIN Chief Bobby Cameron. We are extremely disappointed in the way the RCMP has presented the shooting incident near Bigger, Saskatchewan, on August 9th. The news release the RCMP issued the following day provided just enough prejudicial information for the average reader to draw their own conclusions that the shooting was somehow justified. The messaging in an RCMP news release should not fuel racial tensions. And um, again, it reflects on the, uh, the consequences. The initial media re- um, reporting of this uh, incident sounded like a crime was about to be committed by the passengers in the car, and the media based their response reports initially on the RCMP's news release. The FSIN then called on the people of this province and this country and said we deserve an immediate strategy be put in place by all the levels of leaders in our country to provide for uh, safety, including the assurance that this tragedy will be investigated for what it is, a crime based on race. Colton Bushy deserves injustice and anything less is unacceptable. And we're going to pause here for another uh, musical uh, uh, piece here from Curtis Mayfield, We Got to Have Peace.
Curtis Mayfield, we gotta have peace, no doubt. You know, Jim, uh, one of the things I'd like to do, because we're getting closer to the end of the program, is just reference uh, some of the work that's being done by the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan and recommend that to people who are looking for a good resource around uh, anti-racism discussion and and resources. Uh, They do some great work at the community level all throughout Saskatchewan. Um, the other thing I'd like to do is reflect on the call from the FSIN that we need to um, do more to educate people about the treaty relationship. Uh, they, they specifically talked about the need to uh, educate young people, but I think they, they would acknowledge as well and welcome everybody taking time in their day to to learn about the treaty relationship in Saskatchewan. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening within the school system that are positive. Uh, young people are learning about treaties. That's a good thing, um, but there really needs to be a lot more work in terms of the general population because it's our history in terms of the treaty relationship. And I think that's probably at this point a good time to to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, to an important discussion. We hope we can have some more in the next month and some of the other guests we have on the program um, because this is such an important discussion for all of us in Saskatchewan. And uh, we've got some music that we're going to go out with, Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, and and you can probably take a little bit of time to introduce that. Yeah, I'm just thinking here, going back to the the item that I opened with, and uh, there were... Uh, the, the the thought was expressed that hopefully there will be something really positive coming out of this because it's focusing everyone on the issue. And, uh, oh, uh, I'm not sure how long ago it was now, uh, two years or something like that, we had the pleasure of having Sheena Coops from uh, Fort Capel, a teacher from Burt Fox School. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's... Uh, 
she's really been spending a lot of time and, and effort and thought on treaties and how they affect us all, uh, both uh, settlers, which we are, uh, or colonists, and First Nations. So she wrote a song after much sort of meditation. She uh, makes a point of walking to work, and she has a lot of time to think about treaties and how they affect us. And we were fortunate enough to record that during our show. So we're going to play that for you right now. As long as the grass grows, as long as the sun shines, as long as the river flows through this heart of mine, as long as the grass grows, as long as the sun shines, as long as the river Yeah. 
Okay, that was that was uh, Sheena Coops uh, with a little help there. I'm not sure. It ended about a minute sooner than what I expected to, Gord. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't play it through. I trusted the the information that uh, that said how long it was going to be, and it fibbed. However, this has been a wonderful program, Gord. Um, I and think we do want to thank everybody who turned in tuned in today it's uh, an important discussion and we hope to have it uh, again uh, over the next uh, several programs about uh, an important topic in Saskatchewan for sure um, and this will unfold um, I'm not sure do you have any idea when they're first going to uh, appear in court or anything like this with a Colton Bushy or is that going to as usual no. uh, the, the legal system it seems to take a long time yeah. uh, in in most events, but uh, um, it will. We're all lo- waiting to to see how the facts actually unfold, and uh, it's uh, it's something that we want to we want to get as much positive out as we possibly can. I, I think everyone wants a positive result here, and uh, uh, we to do otherwise would be just adding fuel to our sort of racist fire anyway we do have uh it's it's we've run out of time and uh, we're going to close this week's human rights radio on cjtr community radio and we hope you've enjoyed listening to and have learned something new about human rights for all people pioneering human rights campaigner peter benenson said only when the last prisoner of conscience has been freed the last torture chamber has closed the united nations universal declaration of human rights is a reality for the world's people will our work be done